Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and you are in for a real treat today because I have with me Gordon Firemark. Gordon is an attorney in Los Angeles, and he has practiced in the entertainment industry for many years. He has a background on the production side of entertainment, but as a lawyer, he is one of the leading practitioners around podcasting law in the U.S. And I met Gordon a few years ago at a podcasting conference, and we've kept in touch. I'm going to hear him in a couple of weeks at another podcasting conference. So I really wanted to, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today, Gordon. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. So, Gordon, you have had the, I think, unique perspective to observe podcasting really as a third-party service provider in addition to your own podcast. So I wanted to explore what you have seen in the growth of podcasts over the five or perhaps even uh, last 10 years. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was an early adopter of podcasting as a marketing tool for my practice. And at the time that I did, you know, I was already in the entertainment and media field. So I kind of knew the ropes, but I went looking for, you know, resources and guidance in terms of legal aspects of things and found none. So that either means in going to a new market, either means there's no market there at all, or you're just new and the first into it. So that was, you know, my introduction. So I ended up doing a lot of digging and and learning a great deal about the legal aspects of podcasting as well as the business aspects. And it's been an interesting, yeah, about 10 years now. It's developed as a really remarkable communications tool. It's still underutilized, I think, in a lot of ways. And I don't know exactly what to point to as the reason for that. But I find it a very exciting and still a great opportunity for lawyers and businesses that are looking to reach their audiences and their constituencies in new and different ways. It's very powerful and very effective. From a legal standpoint, the legal issues are very similar to the media law area. We have issues around intellectual property and ownership and business entity kinds of formations, partnerships that happen by accident, things like that. And, you know, the big story over the last, I don't know, eight or nine years was really the podcast patent case. Well, anyway, there was a patent holder who claimed that they controlled the patent on the podcast technology. And that suit went on for a number of years against a number of large podcasters and famous names who were, you know, individuals, but still podcasting to a large audience. And ultimately, the Electronic Frontier Foundation came in and took up some of the defense in these cases and eventually had the patent deemed invalid. And so now we don't have to worry about the patent on podcasting. And so maybe this will open things up for more people to start using it and we'll have a robust life for this kind of medium. So Gordon, what has been your experience as a podcaster? Has this really allowed you to grow literally a national or perhaps even international practice? Or how have you used this in your own firm marketing? Well, the nature of my show, when I started it, I wasn't being very strategic about it. And so I developed a show that is educational, talking about entertainment law, but I'm talking about cases and, you know, it's basically case brief recordings and a little commentary and discussion about things. And so what we're doing is essentially training my competition, (laughs) the other entertainment lawyers out there who listen to the show, get a lot of good information. So we originally conceived it as a CLE program a way for other lawyers to get their continuing education. And I think that's still a great viable model, but for the fact that you have to be certified in each state where you want to offer your CLE. So for the big law firms, that's easy. For a small law firm like me, it's not so easy. So it has turned into a good marketing tool because 
first of all, I'm doing a new show every month. Some folks are doing them every week. That means discoverability on the website. SEO is fantastic. You've got new content coming out often. And when someone Googles a topic or searches for the subject matter of your show, they find you. And Google loves fresh content. So that's really a great aspect of it. But then they also get to hear my voice, hear my co-host's voice as well. And they get a sense of who we are as people. And they can hear the smile in the voice. They can hear the knowledgeability and the fact that we are indeed experts in our field and that we're keeping up on the subject matter. So I think it's a win-win for us in that regard. We get a lot of referrals from people from other countries and other states that need someone with our expertise. And, you know, that how do you find a referral these days? <laughs> you know, you go looking or you send it to the people that you are familiar with from listening. So we have a small but dedicated audience of folks that uh, reach out to us and let us know when we're doing a good job and when we miss the boat. And above all, it's a lot of fun. It's a great way to get the word out. Better than blogging, I think. So Gordon, what are some of the, I don't want to say challenges, because I think that's the wrong word, but what do you hear, I guess, the most from lawyers or law firms on a reluctance to move into podcasting? I think a lot of lawyers have concerns about the ethics and when does this become attorney advertising that's subject to regulation in my state. I don't think that's necessarily that important of a concern. I think that if you could publish a book on a subject, why couldn't you do a podcast on the subject? If you could write a blog article, it's just another medium. It's still the same kind of communications. We do have to maintain you know, a certain ethical standard and not be giving specific legal advice and not opining on things that might impact our clients negatively, those kinds of things. But we as lawyers, we're trained to think about that. And it's possible to do this stuff without crossing over those lines. The other concern is how much time it takes. People are worried that this is going to become massively time consuming. And, you know, like any marketing initiative, there is some time investment, especially at the start of things. But as you get into a routine, you know, recording your episode doesn't have to be a very time consuming thing. And you can outsource or hand off the post-production and publication aspects to someone, you know, who operates at a lower hourly rate. <laughs> Let me go back to one of the things that you started with, Gordon, which was you said that you believe podcast is still an underutilized communications tool. I wanted to see if we might be able to expand upon that a little bit further because I see the podcast format as not a unique way to communicate, but a different way that many corporations, many law firms, many small businessmen like mm -hmm. myself are really not taking advantage of. Do you see that as well, or do you see it from a different angle? No, I think you're right about that. I think a lot of folks are cautious about media in general. You know, the written word, you've got time to think it through and parse what you're saying and be really careful about it. When you do audio, and I think this is true of video as well, it's a little more extemporaneous, a little more off the cuff. I mean, you can work from a script, of course, and then it sounds like you're working from a script, or you can speak sort of extemporaneously and you know, look, there is a risk there that you say something not quite right or dead wrong. It actually happened to me once on a live video thing I was doing. I just got the outcome of a case completely backwards and had to go back and correct it. But that makes you human. And I think audiences, whether customers, clients or whatever, they appreciate that human touch as long as it's not too human too often, I guess you could say. So I think, yeah, people are nervous about being on microphone and on camera. It's a form of public speaking. And so sitting here with this contraption in front of me and listening to what I'm saying, it, you know, it's a little nerve wracking. You get used to it. And if you're good at standing up in a courtroom and speaking to the judge, you can do this. It's a piece of cake. 
You know, that's a great point. I'm a recovering trial lawyer myself, but I find that really most lawyers are very comfortable either talking to clients or to a regulatory body, a court, an arbitrator, a uh, impartial umpire, and that if you can just communicate to them that the microphone is just that, someone that you would be sitting across the table, sitting across the bar, sitting across a bench to talk to, that uh, they can overcome that initial reluctance. Yeah, I like to recommend to folks that they think of it as having a conversation with one person over coffee or cocktails or something. And, you know, when you're teaching or talking about case law or really any subject, that intimacy translates nicely in the podcasting medium. So, you know, you and I are having a one-on-one conversation and yeah, there are going to be hundreds or thousands of people listening to this later this week or whatever, but you and I are having a conversation and it's pretty easy to have this kind of talk. And as long as you don't, build it up into something it's not in your mind. It's relatively painless. Well, when I uh, try to entice people to come on my podcast, I tell them it's a virtual cup of coffee with Tom. Yeah, that's great. So I recently had the opportunity to produce a set of podcasts for a corporate client, and they were short, uh, kind of one point or one issue, three to five minutes. But within the, I would say, an overall podcasting format, and it was wildly successful within that organization. What was not clear to me if that success was due to the different nature of the communications tool. The company had really never experimented with any audio. They had done video or due to the age of the workforce, they were just very comfortable with downloading substantive information on their smartphone and consuming it in that manner. Have you seen that one way or the other? You know, I'm starting to hear it sort of anecdotally. I haven't seen it myself. I mean, I have a short form podcast that I do as well. And it's actually the audio track from a series of short YouTube videos that I do. And it is downloaded quite frequently. I think people love that short form content, especially when they've just got a short commute or the opportunity to consume several of them in a row to fill up some time. In the corporate world, I think this is a great opportunity that I don't think most companies are using to reach their employees with updates and news. You know, I mean, I remember as a kid in grade school and high school, there was the morning announcement that was read over the speakers, you know, in the school. I think companies could do that to their workforce, have a morning briefing, what to be on the lookout for today, what's coming up this week, you know, those kinds of things could be great. And when there's a new company policy decision about something, it can be communicated rapidly and it's the memo, (laughs) but people will listen and, you know, people can listen at their desk or they can listen on their phone or wherever they are. It's mobile, and it is possible to restrict it to internal only, little technical work to be done there. But I think that's a great opportunity, and for customer outreach as well. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. You know, that's an absolute great point. I grew up in a town of 10,000 people, and I can remember, as you said that, sitting in third grade in elementary, and the principal literally read some news highlights every morning Yeah. in his announcements to the entire school. I think that, you know, the CEO could become an even bigger celebrity in a company by doing a morning podcast, a five-minute podcast or something that the employees all listen to and get a sense of where the company is going today. Pretty cool. If I could change the focus a little bit, do you have maybe any thoughts in the veil land of the future of where you might either see podcasts going or what the community of podcasters and podcast lawyers in Los Angeles and literally across the country are seeing? You know, the community of podcast lawyers is a very small community. This is still a, an emerging marketplace, I guess you could say. There's a handful of us that think about and do this stuff, and it's mostly the intellectual property end of the stuff. What are the issues that are going to be coming up in the next few months or years? 
I think we're going to see, first of all, it's because it's a growing medium. I think we're going to see more and more disputes around the use of third-party content. You know, music has become a big issue. There've been a number of lawsuits filed recently against podcasters for the use of unlicensed music in their shows. And podcasters seem to think that this is just like broadcast radio, but most people don't really know what broadcast radio involves in terms of getting music licenses and rights. And so they don't go about it right. And they don't recognize that there's a couple of fundamental differences from the broadcast radio world. When you're digital and you're streaming, you've got different rights than when you're broadcasting over the air. And it's very difficult to get music rights cleared. So that's something I'm hoping for and planning to talk to some people about in the next few weeks about can we develop a streamlined approach to licensing music for podcasters to use in their shows? The challenge is we have podcasters who have audiences of 50 listeners and we have some that have audiences of you know millions. And so how do you monetize that if you're a music company or something? So there's a lot of work to be done in that regard. We have ownership disputes coming up. You know, it's just maturing to the point where people are fighting over the podcast that they started together or where one is a co-host and the other is the you know, ostensible owner of the show. So who really owns it? And let's face it, most people haven't gotten things in writing when they started out their show. And I think we're going to start seeing cases involving the right of publicity, the right of a person to control their use of their name, likeness, and persona. There's a case currently in the courts dealing with a well-known podcast called S-Town that was sort of a documentary about this guy's life. And during the course of the recording of the show, this fellow, John McLemore, actually killed himself. And the podcasters went on and continued producing the series. And the family has now been, actually his estate is suing for violation of his right of privacy and the right of publicity. And I think we're going to start seeing a little more of that kind of thing. In that instance, it's because he's deceased. What did he say? What, you know, what was his agreement? But there was no papering of the deals, you know, and that's the kind of thing that I, I'm on a personally, I'm on a crusade to get podcasters to use proper releases and contracts when they go out and record third parties so that they know they can use what they're creating. They're making an investment and they should be able to exploit that. I recall that podcast series. It was uh, very powerful. And John McLemore was a huge character, both in life and in death. Indeed. So, Gordon, you're going to speak at a upcoming podcast conference called PodFest in a couple of weeks in Orlando. And I was wondering if you might give our listeners just a teaser of your talk. Well, the talk, I'm actually on a panel with two other lawyers. And so we've broken up the subject matter into basically the categories of things that I've just described, intellectual property issues, copyright, trademark, and patent issues, these ownership issues, and the need for releases and contracts and so on. And and we're really leaving a lot of time for Q&A because, you know, these are the things that people wonder about and they have their own perspective and their own, you know, everybody wants to relate it to their own particular situation. The ownership disputes and co-host disputes are starting to be something that I'm getting a lot of questions about as well as people start to tire of each other on the air. So I expect a lot of questions on that front, but it should be a great talk. We're also going to be talking about trademarks as well and branding for podcasts because as much as it's an opportunity, it is also an area where there's some real pitfalls in the way podcasts brand themselves and especially those that relate to television shows and movies because they're using the titles of those shows and movies, and uh, they can get into some hot water there, too. So looking forward to that conversation. Gordon, unfortunately, we're getting near the end of our time, but before we get there, I wanted to end by perhaps crossing the media line and asking you to say a few words about your book, the podcast, blog, and new media producers, Legal Survival Guide. 
it's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So when I started podcasting, that's when I first realized that there was sort of a lack of any authoritative information about the podcasting and the law. And so I set about accumulating that stuff at first for my own benefit. And then I realized, wow, this, this is really something that I can publish and share with the world. So I created it as an ebook and it's available at podcastlawbook.com. And yeah, it's a fairly detailed explanation of all of these issues, as well as other media law topics like defamation and libel and slander and privacy rights, as well as dealing with some of the endorsement guidelines put out by the FTC and those kinds of things. I try to cover the kinds of things that most podcasters will need to know in order to stay safe. So Gordon, I was wondering if we could end with you telling our listeners where they might go for more information, how they could listen to your podcast and generally describe the resources that uh, you generously make available on your site. Okay. Well, I have my main law firm website is at firemark.com. That's F-I-R-E-M-A-R-K.com where I, you know, that is my law blog and where I post my podcast episodes. The podcast itself is called Entertainment Law Update and it's entertainmentlawupdate.com is the direct link to that. And I do also have some information products and other things out there available. And that stuff is all on my other homepage, gordonfiremark.com. So Gordon, this has been a uh, fascinating exploration and, and really update of podcasting, not only from the legal perspective, but from the perspective of someone who has been, was an early adopter of podcasting and continues to really be on the cutting edge of it, not only producing, but legally. I greatly look forward to your talk in Orlando, which I will attend. And if you need legal help in the podcasting world, I'll just say you need to call Gordon Firemark. So Gordon, thank you very much for coming on the pod. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad to have been here. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.